0: from london we present the blanched soldier a play for radio by michael hardwick based on the short story by sir arthur conan doyle the blanched soldier for a long time my friend watson has worried me to write down an experience of my own i have often had occasion to point out to him how superficial are his own accounts, and to accuse him of pandering to popular taste instead of confining himself rigidly to facts and figures. Try it yourself, Holmes, he's retorted. And, yes, I'm compelled to admit, I do begin to realize that the matter must be presented in an interesting way. I find from my notebook that it was just at that time, uh, January 1903, soon after the conclusion of the Boer War, ...that I had a visit from a certain Mr. James M. Dodd. It is my habit to sit with my back to the window... ...and to place my visitors in the opposite chair where the light falls full upon them. Mr. James M. Dodd seemed somewhat at a loss how to begin the interview... ...so I gave him some of my conclusions. From South Africa, sir, I perceive. Oh, why, yes, sir. Imperial yeomanry, I fancy. Exactly. The middle sex, no doubt. (laughs) Mr. Holmes, you are a wizard when a gentleman of virile appearance enters my room with such a tan upon his face as an english son could never give and with his handkerchief in his sleeve instead of in his pocket it is not difficult to place him you wear a short beard which shows that you were not a regular you have the cut of a riding man as to middlesex well, your card has already shown me that you are a stockbroker from Frogmorton street what other regiment could you have joined <laughs> you see everything I see no more than you, but I have trained myself to notice what I see. However, Mr. Dodd, it was not to discuss the science of observation that you called upon me this morning. What has been happening at Tuxbury Old Park? Mr. Holmes, I... How? My dear sir, there is no mystery. Your letter came with that heading. As you fixed this appointment in very pressing terms, it was clear that something sudden and important had occurred during your visit there. Yes, indeed. But a good deal has happened since that letter was written. If Colonel Emsworth hadn't kicked me out, I'd... Kicked you out? Perhaps, Mr. Todd, you'll explain what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I... I got into the way of supposing that you knew everything without being told. But I will give you the facts, and I hope you'll be able to tell me what they mean. Then, Pray proceed. Colonel Emsworth was the Crimean VC, you know. Oh, yes, yes. Well, when I joined up in 1901, young Godfrey, his only son joined the same squadron well we formed the kind of friendship you can only make when you both live the same life and share the same joys and sorrows we took the rough and the smooth together through a year of fighting then outside pretoria he was wounded in the shoulder i got one letter from the hospital at cape town and one from southampton since then not a word not one word mr holmes for six months or more and he was my closest pal and what then When the war was over and we all got back, I wrote to his father and asked where Godfrey was. No answer. I waited a bit and wrote again. This time I had a reply, short and gruff. Godfrey had gone on a voyage round the world, and it wasn't likely that he'd be back for a year. Well, Mr. Holmes, I wasn't satisfied. The whole thing seemed so damned unnatural. It wasn't like him to drop a pal in such a manner. What did you do? Well, my own affairs took quite a time to straighten out, so I haven't been able to do anything about it till this week. My first move was to go down to his home, Tuxbury Old Park. I had to walk five miles from the station, and it was nearly dark when I got there. But at any rate, when I told the old butler my business, he went away and then came back and showed me straight into Colonel Emsworth's study. Well, sir, I should be interested to know the reasons for this visit. I explained to you in my letter, sir. I knew Godfrey in Africa. Yes, yes, I know that. Of course, we've only your word for it. Oh, I have his letters to me in my pocket. Kindly let me see them. Hmm. We were the closest of friends, sir. Is it not natural that I should wonder at his sudden silence and wish to know what has become of him? I have some recollection, sir, that I had already explained that in replying to your letters. He's gone upon a voyage round the world his health was in a poor way after his african experiences and i was of the opinion that complete rest and change were needed kindly pass that explanation on to any other friends who may be interested in the matter certainly but perhaps you would have the goodness to let me have the name of the steamer and the shipping line i have no doubt i shall be able to get a letter through to him many people mr dodd would take offense at your infernal pertinacity they would consider this insistence to have reached the point of damned impudence. And you must put it down to my real love for your son. Mr. Dodd, I have already made every allowance upon that score. I must ask you, however, to drop these inquiries. But why, sir? Every family has its own inner knowledge and its own motives. They can't always be made clear to outsiders, however well-intentioned. I would ask you to let the present and the future alone. And now, sir, you have come a long way and you are welcome to stay the night here. My butler, Ralph, will see to your needs. We dine at eight o'clock. Come in. You beg pardon, sir. I just brought you some more coals. Bitter-cold, it is, sir. Thank you, Ralph. There, sir. Now, sir, will there be anything more tonight? Uh, No, Ralph, that's all, thanks. Oh, before you go, there is just one thing. Sir? Um you've been in service here for a long time i suppose oh yes sir me and the missus both then you've known master godfrey for many years lord bless you sir my mrs nursed him you could say in a manner of speaking i'm his foster father really well i can tell you you'd both been very proud to see him in south africa he bore himself well sir i understand no braver man in the regiment he pulled me out once from under the Boers' rifles or well, maybe i shouldn't be here now yes uh, yes that's master godfrey courage sir why there's not a tree in this park he hasn't climbed nothing would stop him he was a fine boy all right and he was a fine man sir was you say he was look here what is all this mystery about what has become of godfrey emsworth i i don't know what you mean sir Ask the master about Master Godfrey. It's not for me to interfere. Let go of me, please, sir. Now, listen to me, Ralph. You're going to answer one question before you leave this room if I have to hold you all night. Is Godfrey Emsworth dead? I wish he was, sir. I wish to God he was. Well, after that, there seemed to be only one interpretation, Mr. Holmes. My poor friend had evidently become involved in something criminal at the least something disreputable that had touched the family honor his stern old father has sent me away for fear of some scandal coming to light well that was what i thought just then your problem presents some very unusual features mr Dudd. pray continue well after the butler had gone i must have stood there pondering all this for some time then something made me look up and there was godfrey emsworth in the room no he was outside the window it was a ground floor room i'd let the curtains open and there he was looking at me through the glass he was deadly pale i've never seen a man so white i reckon ghosts may look like that but his eyes met mine and they were the eyes of a living man did he give any sign when he saw me looking at him he sprang back into the darkness mr holmes there was something shocking about that man it wasn't just that ghastly face it was something something slinking and furtive something guilty it left a feeling of, of horror in my mind. I assume, however, that when a man has been soldiering a year or two with Brother Boer as his playmate, he keeps his nerve and acts quickly. Exactly. And Godfrey had hardly vanished before I was out of that window. I ran down the garden path and way I thought he might have gone. It seemed to me that something was moving ahead of me. I called his name, but it was no use. When I got to the end of the path, there were several others branching in different directions to some outhouses... But, as I stood there hesitating, I distinctly heard the sound of a closing door. It wasn't behind me in the house; it was somewhere ahead in the darkness. I knew then, Mr. Holmes, that what I'd seen was no vision. Well, then, Mr. Dart, what else did you do? There was nothing more I could do. I, I spent an uneasy night trying to find some theory to cover the facts. well next day I found the colonel rather more conciliatory. His wife remarked that there were some places of interest in the neighbourhood. And I saw an opening to ask whether I might stay there one more night somewhat grudgingly he agreed, which gave you a clear day in which to make your observations. Yes, I felt I must explore the garden and see what I could find. There were several small outhouses, but at the end of the garden there was a detached building of some size. It was heavily curtained. I wondered if this could have been the place the sound of that shutting door to come from. I approached in a careless fashion, strolling aimlessly. And as I did so, a small bearded man in a black coat and a bowler hat came out of the door. He locked it after him. Then he looked at me with some surprise. Good day, sir. Good day. Are you, are you a visitor here? Yes, I am. My name is Dodd. James M. Dodd. I see. I am an old army chum of Mr. Godfrey Emsworth's. I came hoping to see him. What a pity that he should be away on his travels. He would have been pleased to see you, no doubt, Mr. Dodd. His travels? Exactly. Well, good day to you, sir. No doubt you will resume your visit at some more propitious time. Good day, sir. He passed on. When I turned, I observed that he was standing watching me, half concealed by some laurels at the far end of the garden. So I strolled back to the house and waited for night. As soon as everyone had retired and everything was dark and quiet, I slipped out of my window and made my way as silently as possible to the mysterious lodge. The curtains were still drawn, but now there were shutters up as well. Even so, there was some light coming through at one place. I found I could see inside the room. I saw the little man I'd seen that morning. He was smoking a pipe and reading a paper. I tried to see more of the room, but just then... So you've become a spy, have you? Emsworth, kindly follow me back to the house sir there is a train to london at eight thirty in the morning sir if i may only the matter will not bear discussion you've made a most damnable intrusion into the privacy of our family you were here as a guest and you've become a spy i've nothing more to say sir save that i have no wish ever to see you again very well colonel emsworth only I mean, i've seen your son and i'm convinced that for some reason of your own you are concealing him from the world I have no idea what your motives are in cutting him off in this fashion, but I am sure he is no longer a free agent, well, and I, I warn eternal that until I am assured of the safety of the well-being of my friend, I shall never desist in my efforts to get to the bottom of this mystery. <laughs> However, he didn't attack me, Mr. Holmes, but there was nothing for it but to take the appointed train, after writing first, to ask you to see me. Mr. Dodd. the servants. Now, how many were there in the house? Well, to the best of my belief, there were only the old butler and his wife. The family seemed to live in the simplest fashion. There was no servant then in the detached house? None. Unless the little man with the beard acted as such. He seemed to be quite a superior person. You mentioned seeing him sitting by the fire reading a paper. What paper was it? Well, can that matter? It could be most essential. I really took no notice. Possibly you observed whether it was a broadleaf paper... Or of that smaller type which one associates with weeklies? Since you mention it, it wasn't very large. Very well. Now, had you any indication that food was conveyed from the one house to the other? Well, I did see old Ralph carrying a basket down the garden walk and going in the direction of this house. Did you make any local inquiries? Yes, I did. I spoke to the station master and the innkeeper. I simply asked if they knew anything of my old comrade, Godfrey Emsworth. Both of them assured me that he'd gone for a voyage around the world. You said nothing of your suspicions? Nothing. Yet you said that you had seen your friend's face quite clearly at the window. So clearly that you're sure of his identity? I have no doubt about it, whatever. The lamplight shone full upon him. It couldn't have been someone resembling No, 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 no. It was he. But you say he was changed. Only in colour. His face was... How shall I describe it? It was a... of a fish-belly whiteness was bleached. In patches? Well, it was his brow that I saw so clearly. It, it was pressed against the window. Very well, Mr. Dodd. The matter should certainly be inquired into. I will go back with you to Tuxbury, Old Park. Today? Oh, as it happens, I'm clearing up another matter at the moment. Let us say the beginning of next week. I shall be ready whenever you are, Mr. Holmes. Oh, I shall also ask an old friend of mine to accompany us. It is possible that his presence may be entirely unnecessary. On the other hand, it may be essential. The narratives of my friend Watson have shown, no doubt, that I do not waste words or disclose my thoughts while a case is under consideration. In fact, my case was practically complete. When we arrived at the strange old rambling house, I asked the elderly friend who'd accompanied us to remain in the carriage unless we should summon him. I had not introduced him to Dodd, who seemed surprised but asked no questions. The old butler, Ralph, opened the door to us. He wore the conventional costume of black coat and pepper and salt trousers with only one curious variant. He had on brown leather gloves. He shuffled them off at the sight of us, laying them down on the hall table. I have, as Watson may sometimes have remarked, an abnormally acute set of senses and a faint but incisive smell was apparent. I contrived to drop my hat to the floor, and in picking it up, brought my nose within a foot of the gloves. A curious, tarry odour was oozing from them. My case was complete at last. Beg pardon, sir. Mm -hmm. Mr. Dodd and Mr. Sherlock Holmes to see you, sir. Well, who the devil told you to do... What is the meaning of this? You, sir. Have I not told you, you infernal busybody, never to dare show your damned face here again? If you choose to enter here without my leave, I shall be within my rights if I use violence. As to you, Mr. Holmes, I extend the same warning to you. I am familiar with your ignoble profession. Ralph, telephone at once to the county police. Ask the inspector to send up two constables. Yes, sir. Tell him, uh, tell him that there are burglars in the house. One moment. You must be aware, Mr. Dobb, that Colonel Emsworth is within his rights. On the other hand, he should recognize that your action is prompted entirely by solicitude for his son. I venture to hope that if I were allowed to have five minutes' conversation with Colonel Emsworth, I could certainly alter his view of the matter. What the devil are you waiting for, Ralph? Ring the police, I say. Going, sir. Nothing of the sort. Any police interference would bring about the very catastrophe you're dreading. Stand away from that door, sir. Colonel Emsworth, on this page of my notebook, I am writing just one word. Here you are, sir. Pray read it, and you will know what has brought us here. how, How did you know this? It is my business to know things. That is my trade. Then you forced my hand. If you wish to see Godfrey, you shall. But this is your doing, not mine. Mr. Holmes, what does this mean? You shall soon see, Mr. Dart ralph sir go down to the garden house and tell mr godfrey and mr kent that in five minutes we shall be with them very good sir very good but this is very sudden colonel emsworth this will disarrange all our plans i can't help it kent our hands have been forced can mr godfrey see us now yes he's waiting inside (laughs) follow me gentlemen Godfrey, old man. Don't touch me, Jimmy. Don't come near. Yes, you may well stare. I don't quite look smart enough for B Squadron now, do I? What happened? Those white patches on your skin. That's why I don't court visitors. But you seem to have me at a disadvantage. I came down to see if all was well with you. That night you looked into my window. Uh, Old Ralph told me you were there. I, 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 I couldn't resist taking a peep. After you ran away, I couldn't let the matter rest. I asked Mr. Sherlock Holmes here to help. Oh, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, eh? Well, Mr. Holmes, you may as well hear my story, too. If you please, Mr. Ensler. It won't take long to tell. Uh, You remember, Jimmy, that morning fight outside Pretoria on the Eastern Railway line? You heard I was hit. Yes, I heard about it. I never got particulars. Three of us got separated from the rest. Baldy Simpson, Henson and I. The other two were killed. I, I got a bullet through my shoulder. I stuck on my horse, though, and he galloped several miles with me before I must have rolled off in a faint. When I came to, it was night. It was deadly cold. You remember that, that kind of numb cold that used to come at evening? I do. It's deadly. Uh, there was a building nearby... I knew my only hope was to reach it. I have a dim memory of staggering there. There, there was a, a large room with many beds in it. I just fell onto one of them and passed out. Lucky for you. Ha! Was it? When I woke in the morning, it was as though I'd passed from a world of sanity into a nightmare. Standing in front of me was a dwarf-like man with a huge, bulbous head. He was jabbering in Dutch and waving his hands. They were like horrible brown sponges. Oh, Good Lord. There were others behind him watching me. And as I looked at them, I realized that not one of them was a normal human being. Everyone was twisted or swollen or disfigured in some way. And they were laughing at me. God, I... I can hear them now. Well, then that that little beast laid his horrible deformed hands on me and began pulling me off the bed. My wound was bleeding, but he went on. He was as strong as a bull. I don't know what he was going to do, but an elderly man suddenly came in and shouted an order in Dutch, and the little monster moved away. This is fantastic. It's only too true. Well, the elderly man spoke to me in English. I'm a doctor, he said. That shoulder of yours wants fixing out quickly, but man alive, do you know where you are? A hospital, I said? Yes, he said. The leper hospital. You're lying in a leper's bed. My God. Now you have the truth, Mr. Dodd thanks to the british advance i was in the general hospital at pretoria within a week apart from my shoulder, i seem to be all right it wasn't until they got me home and i came here that these terrible signs began to appear on my face i knew then that i hadn't escaped what was i to do mr dodd we had two servants we could trust completely there was this house where he could live Uh, Mr. Kent here, he's a surgeon, was prepared to stay and care for him in secret. Yes, but why? Surely a hospital... don't you see? It would have meant segregation for the rest of his life. To live forever amongst strangers without any hope of release. Even in these quiet parts, if one word had got out, he would have been dragged away to that. Even you had to be kept in the dark, Jimmy. But, But what I don't understand, Father, is why you've relented now. It was Mr. Sherlock Holmes who forced my hand with this scrap of paper... He wrote one word on it, leprosy. After that, I realized that if he knew so much, it was safer that he should know it all. So it was, and who knows but good may come of it. How? I understand that only you, Mr. Kent, have attended the patient. May I ask, sir, if you are an authority on such tropical or semi-tropical complaints? I have the ordinary knowledge of the educated medical man. I have no doubt, sir, that you are fully competent. But I'm sure you will agree that in such a case... A second opinion is valuable. It would have meant pressure being put on us to segregate him. I foresaw this situation, and I brought with us a friend whose discretion may be absolutely trusted. I was able once to do him a professional service, and he is ready to advise as a friend rather than as a specialist. His name is Sir James Saunders. Sir James? He is a present in the carriage outside the door. Then I should be proud, Mr. Holmes. Good. I will ask him to step this way. Meanwhile, Colonel Emsworth, we may perhaps assemble in your study. My invariable process starts upon the supposition that when you have eliminated all that which is impossible, then whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. As this case was first presented to me, there were three possible explanations of the seclusion or incarceration of this gentleman in an outhouse of his father's mansion. There was the possibility that he was in hiding for a crime, or that he was mad and they wished to avoid an asylum, or that he had some disease which caused his segregation. I could think of no other adequate explanations. The criminal solution would not bear inspection. No unsolved crime had been reported from this district. If it were some crime not yet discovered... Then, clearly, it would be to the family's interest to send the delinquent abroad rather than keep him concealed at home. Insanity was more plausible. Mm. What's that? The presence of the second person in the outhouse suggested a keeper. The fact that he locked the door when he came out strengthened the supposition. On the other hand, this constraint could not be severe, or the young man could not have got loose to have a look at his friend. You will remember, Mr. Dodd, that I felt round for points. such as asking me about the paper Mr. Kent had been reading. You're being optimistic there, Mr. Holmes. Had it been a medical paper, it would have helped me. It is not illegal to keep a lunatic upon private premises so long as there is a qualified person in attendance and the authorities have been notified. Then why all this desperate desire for secrecy? So you had no theory to fit the facts again. There remained a third possibility. Rare and unlikely as it was, everything seemed to fit into it. Leprosy is not uncommon in South Africa. Bleaching of the skin is a common result of the disease. By some extraordinary chance, this youth might have contracted it. His people would be placed in a very dreadful position since they would desire to save him from segregation. Great secrecy would be needed, but he could be allowed some freedom after dark. A devoted medical man, if sufficiently paid, would easily be found to take care of it. You thought this case was the strongest of the three, in fact? So strong that I determined to act as if it were actually proved. When I arrived here, I noticed that the gloves worn by Ralph, who carried the meals, were strongly impregnated with disinfectant. My last doubts were removed. A single word showed you, sir, that your secret was discovered. Yes, yes, I see it now. But tell me, sir, why did you write it down instead of saying it? That was to prove to you that my discretion was to be trusted. I thought as much. Ah, here is Sir James. Well, sir, let us know the worst. It is often my lot to bring ill tidings and seldom good. This occasion is the more welcome, Colonel Emsworth. It is not leprosy. Not? What is it then, Sir James? A well-marked case of pseudo-leprosy, ichthyosis. It's a scale-like affection of the skin, unsightly, obstinate, but possibly curable, and certainly non-infective. Then heaven be thanked. Uh, But surely if he got it from contact with those leper fellows... No, not from them. A coincidence. Remarkable, but a coincidence. Coincidence, my dear Sir James? Are we assured that the apprehension from which this young man has suffered since his terrible experience may not have produced a physical effect simulating that which it fears? May there not be subtle forces at work of which we know very, very little That was The Blanched Soldier by Michael Hardwick, based on the short story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Sherlock Holmes was played by Carlton Hobbs, and production for the BBC was by Frederick Bradnam.